You can turn to 1 Timothy. The Lord's timing is always amazing. I, I was uh, challenged and inspired by that tribute, and I think it was God's perfect timing to fit it in right today. Uh, I'm hit by the responsibility to carry out what Marilyn prayed for us about. You feel that? I'm told that uh, in the last months of her life, the cancer was so painful and so throughout her body that uh, it was overwhelming at times. And yet, she was praying for you, and she was praying for me, and she was praying that this ministry would be a light in the community. And what's so, in a good way, weighty on my heart today is that our obedience to this passage in 1 Timothy is going to directly reflect that walking worthy that Marilyn prayed would happen. Isn't that amazing? God is working. He was working before today. He'll be working after today. But understand that we are in a place where we can now see clearly that God has a plan for us in the next 40 minutes. Father, we turn to you, desperate for you to continue to work. It's amazing to me that our faithful sister, uh, really struggling with incredible pain, was faithful to pray for each of us, that we'd walk worthy of the calling, Father, that you have called us. Father, there's a lot of responsibility there, and we pray that uh, we wouldn't be overwhelmed by that, but that we would rely on you, we'd rest on you, we'd abide in your Son, so that we can be faithful men and women of God. We love you. Open our eyes and our hearts. Get us ready to be doers of the word that you would lay out for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We finish 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is very unique in a lot of ways. One of the ways is that usually at the end of one of these letters, Paul kind of takes it down a notch. He kind of wraps it up with some greetings, uh, wraps it up with some parting thoughts. Not 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy builds and builds and keeps on building in intensity. And last week, oh man, Mike brought the word powerfully. The Spirit was working through Mike, and he taught us from 1 Timothy 6, really 1 through 10, that God has amazing outcome for us, an amazing picture that God's intention for your life is to have contentment with godliness in Jesus Christ. Now think about that for a minute. You're going to need to go to a happy place in your mind here for a moment. Can you picture that time in your life where all seemed at peace? Think about it for a minute. There's not many of them, are there? But think about that time where even for a brief moment, you're like, oh, life is good. I'm at peace. For me, it's usually Christmas morning and I, my family's around me and we've just read the Christmas story and we're ready to spend a day without phones and without TV and without distractions, just soaking in the love of God and, and being with each other in our jammies. Peace, contentment. You know what I'm talking about? Picture that. Because the outcome that Mike laid out for us from the Holy Scriptures is that can be your life day in and day out. The Apostle Paul was so at peace and content in the Lord Jesus Christ that it didn't matter if they were threatening his life, if they were throwing him in the clink, if he was in pain, if he was in triumph, if the Lord was doing great things, if it looked like everything was dark. His contentment was so focused on the Lord Jesus Christ that he was bulletproof. He was invincible. Isn't that amazing? Think for another minute. Where's our sister Marilyn right now? In content 
peace with her Savior. That's an amazing outcome. An amazing outcome from God's Word. And it was brought up last week as something that we can see God work in our lives. Not only when we sit next to Marilyn at the feet of the Lord Jesus, but now, in this life, we can seek that outcome of peace, comfort, contentment. That's an amazing thing. He was clear, though, to also lay out some serious opposition. Some serious opposition. And if you want to look at the outline that you have, you'll see some of these brief notes there. I'd encourage you to make your own notes. There was some serious opposition. There was all kinds of uh, traps that the world, the flesh, and the devil would set for us. Same traps as today. Same things that grab our attention away from that contentment God wants for us so badly. Whether it's materialism. Oh, we don't have any of that around. Man. The love of money is all around us. The love of money is all around us. It's in every part of our society. It's foundational to, I'd say, the vast majority of Facebook tests, te- uh, Facebook posts and Instagram posts. In those, so many, there's the root of materialism. And I'm not just saying the ads that come your way. I'm saying the opulence and the extravagance that we love to, to post up there, right? So much materialism. There were arguments that were opposing the people of God in the city of Ephesus. Arguments. Arguments about whether God's word is truth. Do you hear any contestant, contesting of whether God's word is truth today? All around us, we're hearing questioning of God's authority in his holy scripture. And those arguments were oppositions. They were pitfalls. They were snares designed by the world, flesh, and the devil to pull you down. And we hear Paul saying, don't be slowed by it. Don't lose sight of this outcome that God has for us. It was a remarkable time last week, and I know that many of you were moved as I was. And wouldn't it be nice if after a nice intense message like that, we could take a little coast? Uh Uh-uh. He ramps it up more today. And in the last several verses of 1 Timothy 6, he's going to take us to this opportunity that we have this opportunity laid ahead of us for us to walk in the contentment he would have for us. Now, I'm a big picture guy. I love illustrations, so I will give you an illustration from decades ago. Some of you remember this. Do you remember the 1980 Winter Olympics, the miracle on ice? Anyone remember that? If you don't remember it, I hope that you at least saw the movie. It's tremendous. But that was a really hard time for this country. There were gas shortages. There were all kinds of uh, unrest. Uh, Jimmy Carter had just shared that for one of the first times in the U.S. history, a poll had showed that more people were discouraged about life in the U.S. than were encouraged. Sound familiar? Tough times. The Cold War with, with the Soviet Union was raging. There were drills to hide under your desk in fear that nuclear war was just around the corner. Incredibly dark times. And if it didn't, uh, if that wasn't enough, there was in the sports world this dominance by the Soviet hockey team. This time after time kicking of anybody else's tail in their way. And a constant reminder 
that the Soviets were unstoppable on the ice. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to some of us, but uh, talking to my dad last night, uh, it was a big deal. It was a discouragement. And so you had this ragtag bunch uh, in, in around 1979 deciding that they wanted a different outcome in the 1980 Winter Olympics. They wanted the impossible to happen. And so they tapped a, a coach from Minnesota, kind of a quirky weird guy named Herb Brooks, and they brought Herb in, and Herb started changing everything. Changing the way they practiced, the way they chose players, everything. He laid out this outcome, we can beat the Soviets. David can take down Goliath. And he started working this small group of boys that he felt was handpicked for this incredible outcome to be victorious in the Olympics. And let me tell you, there was opposition. There was all kinds of opposition from the boy's body, let alone they were just tired. He used to say, the legs feed the wolf, boys. You better get conditioned. You better... Oh, they were terribly tired. The Olympic Committee didn't know what was going on. This is, oh, this is weird. This is opposition around every corner. But through it, there was an opportunity. Take a look. Moments. Born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. Game. You play them ten times, they might win nine. This game. Tonight. We skate with them. We stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. We are the greatest hockey team in the world. Born to be hockey players. One of you. We're meant to be here tonight. This is your time. You're meant to be here. This is true of us. This is an illustration. And that that uh, group of ragtaggy young men did the impossible. They heeded that opportunity that great moments are born out of great opportunity. And this bunch of youth went out there and David slayed Goliath. In three periods, they did the unthinkable. These amateur boys took it to the Soviets and came out victorious. I asked my dad, Dad, you hear that this was, this was a big deal. Did it really transcend sports? He says, oh yeah, this was a big deal. This was an emotional lift for the entire country. And I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? Well, use that as an illustration this morning, that you are here. You were born for this time. You were picked and chosen for this opportunity. And greatness awaits, an outcome awaits for you not only to have the abundant life, the peace, the joy that Jesus Christ promises is available to you, but to be a light in this community unlike has ever been seen. Will we seize this opportunity? Well, let's dig into the text and see what's asked of us this morning. 
The next verses are interesting. Paul uses his coaching voice, his coaching approach. In Romans, you can hear his professor of theology voice where he's teaching the intricacies of deep doctrine. In Galatians, he's the hero voice where he's rescuing them from the the Gnostics, the false teaching. In Corinthians, you can hear his dad disciplining the kid's voice when he's telling him how disappointed he is. But here you hear his coaching voice. Here you hear his voice to say, let's get at it. And start reading with me in verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God, Timothy, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Commend those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, guard what was committed to you, to your trust avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. What's the opportunity? The opportunity is to live in a way that we will reach that contentment, that peace, and that victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Circle opportunity on your outline, will you please? Circle opportunity and understand that this is the time. Now, he starts in verse 11 with a significant and unique phrase. He says, Timothy, but you, O man of God, flee these things. But you, O man of God. This man of God phrase is a big deal. This man of God phrase goes all the way back to the Old Testament. You want to hear the elite company who is called man of God? Moses, Elijah, Elisha, and not too many others. Guess how many people are called man of God in the New Testament? Timothy. Coach Paul is making it crystal clear that Timothy, by God's grace, you are the man. You've been born for this moment. You've been taught and groomed by your mother and your grandmother to love and know the Lord. This is your time, Timothy. And I would suggest to you, based on the commentators I've studied, that God, that Paul was also, through the Holy Spirit, not knowing you directly, but he was also telling you that you can be a man of God. You can be a woman of God. Matching the greatness of those before you, like Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Timothy. This is your calling. Now, I need to state, first of all, that maybe not everyone is there yet because what comes first is knowing the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You've gotten a packet of six pages, three front and back. 
That's our brother Adrian laboring over the Word to really lay out some real deep thoughts on this passage. And in the first few paragraphs, you'll read that the starting point to this is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've not received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, that needs to come today. That needs to come now. The Lord Jesus, we heard later in the passage that he stood before Pontius Pilate. Why did he do that? So that he could go to the cross for your sins. So that he could die on that cross to pay for your sins. John 20, 31 says, These things, meaning the book of John, were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. That's where you're at today. God has brought you here for the purpose of receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. Allow your heart to respond in obedience right now. Allow the Spirit of God to make it clear that Jesus is your hope of salvation. Receive him as your Savior today. Thank him for that and tell us about that later. When you've done that, you are a man of God, a woman of God. You've got all that it takes. Turn to Second Peter. Turn to Second Peter. If you're worried like me, oh, stink, how do I live up to that? Man of God, woman of God? Where does that even come from? It comes from Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where God says, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given us an exceedingly great and precious promise that through these things you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Are you good enough? Yes, because of the Lord Jesus. Because of the work of the Lord Jesus in your life as a follower of Christ, you have everything you need for life and for godliness. You have what it takes because of him to be a man of God, a renowned woman of God. How's that for a jump start from Paul? That's a good way to start. That's a good way to get us rolling on this. We can be men of God. We can be women of God. Nothing holds us back from participating in the divine nature, as Second Peter 1 says, except my unwillingness to answer the call. So what's the call? Look at verse 11 again. What's the call for the man of God, for the woman of God? But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Flee. Flee. This same Greek word flee was used in Matthew 2. Verse 13, in Matthew 2, verse 13, an angel shows up to Joseph in the middle of the night. And what did that angel say to Joseph? Flee. Herod's soldiers are coming to kill your newborn son, the Lord Jesus. Flee. And if you read that passage, what was the timing of Joseph's response? It says they left that night. They got up and they were out of there. That's the picture of how we're to respond. Flee. It's an intense, as Adrian says, it's running for, for your life from a lion chasing you down. Running for your life. That's the kind of fleeing we're talking about here. 
It's interesting that Peter talks about the devil as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Flee, my brothers and sisters. Well, what are we to flee? Everything he talked about in the first several verses of chapter 6. Materialism. Ungodly attitudes or opinions. Arrogance. Make a note to read those first 11 verses again and soak in exactly what was going on as far as opposition. And let me be blunt. We indulge in this opposition daily. And it's time to flee. My daughters brought home from camp uh, a documentary called The Social Dilemma. And the reality is, is that we have a sin box right here in our pockets that has grabbed us and enticed us in ways that scientists and others don't, don't know of more addictive things in the past. These have grabbed us. We are addicted to these. This isn't drama, this is science. Your brain craves the light. Your brain craves the affirmation of a like. Your brain craves the uh, gems that you get in Candy Crush. It's designed to suck us in and to entice us. I'm not being dramatic. This is where we're at. It is time to flee. It is time to flee. I took a chapter from my girls. I did not ask them to do this, but they came home from camp and canceled their Instagram accounts. They didn't have Facebook, and they said, it's time to, time to be done with this garbage, Dad. We are enticed by the world on a daily basis. And whether it's video games or television or YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or you name it, it's time to flee. And I don't know about you, but when I have to flee... It's not like, okay, I'm going to cut it down to six hours today instead of seven. When I need to flee, i got to get out of there. Now you pray about this. You determine how God would lead you on this. I can tell you that I was challenged, mostly by my wife, and she was right, that Netflix is not the best use of the 45 minutes to an hour and a half each night as I tucked in the kids and watched on my phone. And so her challenge was to flee that. And by God's grace, it was cancel the account. And I still miss me some West Wing. That's such a good show. But you'll be amazed at the time and the focus that has been opened up in my life for the things of the Lord because of that solid advice to flee. we got to flee. Men and women, we are bombarded with lies daily. There are posts, there are podcasts, there are infomercials, there are all kinds of input that would say, God's word isn't really truth. Did God really say, sound familiar? Satan used those words in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say you're being bombarded with lies about false teaching, that God's word can't be trusted? There's a posting on Facebook from someone too close to us than we'd like. That's putting forward the heresy that says that Paul's writings really aren't scripture. Lies. We gotta flee. We gotta get out of this garbage. And we've gotta get rid of these hindrances. The sin that so easily ensnares us, as Hebrew says. It's time, my brothers and sisters. It's time. Okay, T, you're overreacting. Fine. Is it worth it? Do we want peace, contentment, and joy? Do we want Dubuque to be turned upside down for the Lord? 
Or do we want to wallow in our worldliness? Well, don't wear the name man of God or woman of God if we're unwilling to do what it takes. It's time, my brothers and sisters. It's time. As we flee, we need to follow. We need to pursue. And Adrian shows us in his writing that this is just as strong as turn. If we were running away from the lion as we flee, we're running after dinner to hunt it down when we pursue. That's the picture here. Full throttle. Full throttle. Towards. Towards what? Take a look. Towards righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Now, I don't have time. You'll be glad I'm not going to take time. I don't have time to dig into all of these. So guess what? Brother Adrian has done the work for you. You can see in that handout, there's one per household. If you want an email copy, we can arrange that. If you want an extra copy, we've got them. He's got red headings for righteousness, godliness, right on down the line. Read those. Study the word. That's a map for what we're to be pursuing. And I promise you, as you flee the garbage, as you purpose, listen to this, as you purpose to spend more time in the word, than you do on electronics? As you determine that your YouTube video watching is going to be less than your Bible study, the eyes are going to be open to what God expects in the area of righteousness and godliness and right down the line. It's going to be wonderful. The Lord is going to do amazing things in your life. Now, this list is not unique. You can find it in Galatians. You can find lists like this in Second Peter where you add to your faith virtue, etc. You can even go to the Old Testament. Remember Micah 6, 8? He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Look familiar? This isn't new, but it's time that we pursue these. We follow after them. We hunt them down like we were hunting down our last dinner. It's time, man of God, woman of God. Here's the recipe. Dig into that. Brother Adrian has laid it out for us. I'll point out one more thing and make note of this, if you would. Uh, one commentator said, notice that these six things are kind of categorized. The first two involve your relationship with God Almighty. As I w- seek justice and righteousness and I seek godliness, then I'm properly aligned with my Father in heaven. Don't make any mistake, that's only by the Spirit of God. But as I submit to the Spirit of God and pursue justice, righteousness, and godliness, I'll be right with God. I'll be in fellowship with Almighty God. First two, fellowship with God. That allows the next two to be in internal perspectives, approaches to life. I filter all of my actions and my thoughts through faith that God is right, that God is good. I filter all of my thoughts, actions, and ambitions through love, selflessly seeking the best, God's best for those around me. And so the middle two are a mindset, a perspective, a focus for godly living. And the last two are dealing with opposition, dealing with people, dealing with the struggles. By the Spirit of God, I can approach every struggle with patience. 
I can approach every struggle with meekness and gentleness. Now remember, meekness is not weakness, is it? Meekness is taken from that picture of a stallion, a war stallion, who a bit puts in his mouth and now he is controlled in that passion so that the rider will direct that stallion wherever wherever he'd lead. That's meekness, controlled power. You have some power. You are some powerful people. I would not mess with half of you. Use that power for the Lord. Bridle that power with the meekness of the Word of God by the control of the Spirit and let it loose for His glory. God is going to do amazing things. You are going to be so excited about what God has in store for you and for me and for us as we seek, pursue the right living that God calls as a man and woman of God. So flee, follow, pursue like your last meal depended on it. And finally, verse 12. Well, we'll calm it down in verse 12, right? Nah, not a chance. Fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We're done being wimps, my friends. Christians have been wimps for too long. It is time to fight against the world, flesh, and the devil. And the reality of this is, Timothy, bad news. You can want to flee all you want. You can want to pursue and follow with the best of them. But it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a struggle. And that's the reality. It ain't going to get easy until we're with Marilyn and the Lord Jesus. But until that time, it is a fight worth waging. It is a battle worth engaging in. We got to fight. We have to fight the reputation of the Lord Jesus. The joy of your heart depends on whether you're willing to fight for what we have called, what we've been called to as children of the Lord Jesus. Fight the good fight of faith. Wrestle, struggle, bite, claw, scratch, keep pursuing, no matter what the opposition. And by the way, there's really no one I'd rather fight with than each of you. We are in this together. This is a family, and we are ready to fight back to back, shoulder to shoulder. I'm told that Roman soldiers, some of the best fighters in history, would form a, a, a formation where they were back to back with each other, kind of a circle. They had each other's backs. And they each had this perimeter, this circle. And they had these stubby swords because that's all they needed. And if anybody was coming into that perimeter, they were taking them down for me and for you. It was back to back. It was a fight. It was a no chance of defeat. Is that our attitude today? It needs to be. Let's get shoulder to shoulder. Let's get back to back. I'm going to encourage you in two weeks, the 15th of August, don't miss that Sunday. We're going to hear opportunities of how we devote ourselves to this calling of being family, of being back to back, of being shoulder to shoulder, ready to take on every opposition that comes our way. Amazing what God has in store for us. We go to verse 13. We go to verse 13 and he starts to now reinforce these three things. As we flee, follow, and fight, 
he says, hold fast the pattern of sound doctrine which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. There's a battle for your mind. There's a battle for truth. And we have to be unswerving in our in our steadfast following of God's truth. What does that mean? I hinted at it. That means that your time in God's word is so much infinitely more important than your social media status or your YouTube learning about this or that or your TV consumption. Are we going to be serious about being men and women of God who know the word of God so that we will be steadfast in sound doctrine? Now, sadly, you can't just pop on a sermon from any Christian teacher out there. Sadly, nine out of ten times you're going to be fed lies and false teaching from too many sermons out there. Seek the Lord in which voices you should listen to on this. Consult each other. Let's be a team. Let's protect each other. Your brothers and sisters in Christ could go down the list and list five to ten very popular Christian speakers that spout heresy and lies on a regular basis. We've got to pursue the truth. We've got to pursue sound doctrine. Then he goes on for a, a gut check time. So we heard the locker room speech that inspired these boys, but what we didn't hear was that in the third period, when every part of their body was burning with lactic acid and they were pooped, we didn't hear what the coach said to them then. I would guess it's something like, you're not quitting now. Get out there. Get it going, right? Paul gives us the gut check here in verse 13. This is third period, five minutes left. You've got a one-goal lead against the best team in the world. You are not quitting now. What does he say? Verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are... I'm in the wrong chapter. Thank you. I'm like, I don't remember this from my notes, but okay, let's go with it. Let's get to the right chapter. I mean, that was good too, but verse 13. Why didn't you say something earlier, Mark? I mean, you could have thrown something at me. Thanks for nothing. Just kidding. Verse 13, I urge you in the sight of God. That's more like it. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. This is the gut check. This is that reinforcement now. You're doing this, but you're getting tired. It's time to reinvigorate your calling. I urge you in the sight of God. And I think it's fascinating that in verse 13, he gives you one of the ultimate examples of gutting through the pain. He shows you the Lord Jesus in front of Pontius Pilate. What's happening at this point? He's been beaten. He's been embarrassed. He's been sleep deprived. He's been betrayed by his own friends. And he stands before this human ruler who thinks he's all that, who thinks that he has any power over the king of the universe. 
and he submits himself to this ruler. And yet he fights. He doesn't give an inch. He was urged by Pilate. Pilate wanted to let him off the hook, okay? Wanted a reason to release him. And a little slip of concession, a little mediocrity of conviction, a little bit of ground given in Christ standing firm on the truth would have gotten him off the hook. But he fights the good fight. He pursued. He steadfastly approached the calling that God had for him. Isn't that an interesting example? That's the gut check. So if you think you're in a tough situation that's worse than when the Lord Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate, by all means, give up. But it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And so we're called gut check time. How do we measure this? How do we measure our success, whether we're heeding that gut check call or not? Well, we start looking at verse 17. Commend those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now, who among us is rich? Well, according to the world standards, if you live on more than 30 grand a year, you're richer than 75% of the entire world's population. And you can do the math from there. The bottom line is that we in this country are rich, exceedingly rich. We don't act like it, we don't think it, and that's part of the trap. I feel that in my own flesh, there's been far too many times where I've trusted in money, trusted in wealth, trusted in the pursuit of stuff. We're working like crazy as a family on this. Contentment even in what I have instead of hungering and pursuing. And why? Because Paul warns that those are the distractions that are going to slow you down. That that desire for the next set of of, uh, basketball shoes, that desire for the, the, the nicer this or the nicer that, that's a distraction. And so a very practical gut check is how do we view money? Some of you knew Gar Mabe. Remember Gar Anita helped to start the great adventure. He died at age 42. His aorta burst and he died within minutes. But before he died, he would often remind us that one of the most accurate measurements of a man or woman's spirituality was how they used the money that God had given them. One of the clearest barometers of my obedience to the word of God is carried out in how I use the money that God has put in my care. Not interesting? Why is it such a big deal? Why is it part of the third period gut check speech? Because it's key in how we pursue this holiness. And I want to put forward to you, just as he does, verse 17, let's look at it. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives richly things to enjoy, let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. What does it mean to let them do good? That means give money away like it's going out of style. I think it was Spurgeon, oh, Wesley. Wesley, the preacher, said, make as much money as you can and give away as much money as you can. Now, we'll talk about life balance, right? But there's nothing wrong with giving, uh, making money. It's what we do with that money that matters. Are you a generous person? Are you a lavish giver? 
I don't care our personality, our calling. We are called to be extremely generous and earn the money that God would have, live on what we need, and give as much as possible to the Lord. Interesting gut check, isn't it? Interesting barometer of where God would have us. And then he wraps it up. O Timothy, guard what, verse 20. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Verse 20. Avoid the senseless babblings. We are an argumentative culture. We love to argue. My son and I are talking a lot about this. And if you go on the Facebook, Instagram, the comments sections are one big fat argument. Have you noticed that? One big fat argument. Let's not get wrapped up in that. Let's not participate in that. Let's defend truth. Let's defend the word of God. But let's not quibble over the frivolous things that we're being enticed to argue and dispute. There's no time for it. There's no bandwidth in your pursuit of God. And he says, don't get tied up. So two big tests, two big benchmarks. How do you like that, Evie? That's a teacher term, right? Benchmarks, right? Two big benchmarks to know whether you're following and pursuing. How are we using the money God has given us? And am I getting wrapped up on stupid things to argue about? Or am I so focused on the prize that we're walking in unity, we're walking in harmony? There's going to be things that we see together that are outside the band of what I would want or what I would prefer. Are we going to move past the little differences and pursue the prize together? It's an interesting gut check. It's an interesting barometer that we'll have to talk through and understand. This is on your outline. Uh, this is how we test it out. This is how we back it up, right? We back it up. We test it out by professing uh, and sticking to what matters most, and that's God's word, that's God's truth, that's justice, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness, gentleness, humility. Father, we thank you for a clear, crystal clear opportunity, an opportunity to stand as men and women of God, an elite title reserved for those who truly seek you. We have all that it takes, Lord, for life and godliness. Your holy word promises that in Second Peter. We're ready. We're ready to flee the garbage that slows us down. We're ready to follow and pursue the truth that you would have to us and the priorities. We're ready to fight even when it gets tough in gut check time. We're ready to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. We're ready. We need your help. We need your strength. Father, I pray that you would lay it on each heart here to fight against the tendency to say, meh, and instead, Lord, to obey you in this calling in a way that we never had before. Allow us to support each other, to help each other, to encourage each other. Thank you for this opportunity. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.